Hello and welcome to Socialism. The 22nd of April 2020 was the 150th anniversary of the birth of Vladimir Lenin, the revolutionary workers' leader and Marxist political theorist. In 1917, Lenin's Bolshevik party led the working class of Russia to overthrow the landlords and capitalists and establish the world's first democratic workers' state. Lenin was rooted firmly in Marxism. He understood that only the working class could lead a successful revolution. He fought for a well-organised party and a workers' press as the essential tools for achieving that. And in contrast to the butcher Stalin, he stood for international revolution and maintained that, quote, democracy is indispensable to socialism. No wonder his name is feared and slandered by capitalist politicians and their official histories. In particular, they have much to fear right now at a time when their entire rotten system is racked by pandemic, economic crisis and social turmoil. To quote Lenin again, sometimes history needs a push. So what were Lenin's real ideas? What were his main contributions to the struggle for socialism? And what can workers and young people fighting capitalist misery learn from them today? This episode of Socialism looks at Lenin at 150, his revolutionary life and legacy. So we're here this episode with Nick Chaffee, who is the Southern and Southeast Regional Secretary of the Socialist Party and a member of the party's National Committee. Hello, Nick. Hi there, James. And apologies in advance if there are any issues with the sound quality. We are conducting this interview over a phone line due to the restrictions of the coronavirus lockdown. And we're going to be talking about the 150th anniversary of the birth of Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, better known as Lenin, one of the leaders, really the preeminent leader of the Russian Revolution, a great Marxist theoretician and a man whose ideas and legacy have been slandered by capitalist historians and politicians and commentators, as well as distorted and misappropriated by poisonous forces within the workers' movement itself. So there's a lot to discuss about Lenin's revolutionary life and legacy, but perhaps we should start with the Russian Revolution itself. Socialists, like those in the Socialist Party and the Committee for a Workers' International, we describe the Russian Revolution as the greatest event in human history to date. Why is that? Yeah, thanks. You know, obviously it's a big claim. And we would say just very clearly is that it was the first time that the working class took power. It confirmed that it was possible to transform society and that there was an alternative to the capitalist system. And I think in terms of the horrors that we face today in terms of dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and the economic crisis that's continued really unabated over the last decade of austerity and is now set to deepen in the period ahead. I think, you know, many people who are looking for how we can change society, of what can be done to change society, then the events of 1917 and Lenin's role and the Bolshevik Party's role in that is full of important lessons to learn. I think we would first make the point that it was the revolution that marked the end of the First World War. At the time, Russia was plunged into a conflict that killed over three and a half million people out of 20 million who were killed largely in Europe. And obviously it opened up a, a new form of government, a government based on the working class, the Soviet government. It was a government of elected workers from the workplace, subject to recall, paid the average wage of the workers that they represented, the most democratic form of government ever seen in the world. And obviously what it achieved in terms of eradicating the barbarism of czarism, then opening up, if you like, the development of the economy that realised the needs of the working class in terms of the implementation of the eight-hour day, things that we're still fighting for today, incidentally, and obviously the democratic rights, suffrage for women, the rights to divorce and abortion, the first country to develop freedom for the lesbian and gay community, you know, so huge social, economic and political developments, all based on this idea of a new form of government, a government of the working class, 
that could begin to transform society, not just in a sense in Russia itself, but obviously the beginnings of a world revolution. And this, of course, was a society where the workers, yes, were in control through a working class government headed by this elected leader, Vladimir Lenin. But, of course, we're also in control of the job in their workplaces as well, that there was not just workers' management from above, but workers' control from below and the two were combined, leading to massive potential increases in efficiency as well as lifting of living standards materially. That was also potential, although they inherited a very backward situation economically, which caused big problems in developing the revolutionary socialist path of society, which we'll talk about a little bit more later on. But given the enormous misery and privations of the First World War, there was huge anger in society. So was the revolutionary victory, was that inevitable? Well, I think that's, in a sense, a question of Marxist theory and of Lenin's writings and early history, if you like, in building the workers' movement in Russia. He was involved in the establishment of the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party just before the end of the 19th century and informing his outlook and his ideas, what was central to that was the role that the working class would play in transforming society, in the revolutionary overthrow of Tsarism and to some extent developed the idea of very early on of a professional party of the working class rooted in the working class that could help in the construction of a party of the working class linked to a clear socialist programme to transform society. And so in, in that sense, Lenin didn't have a blueprint, but certainly had a perspective of how the working class would play a decisive role in the coming revolutionary movements. His perspective wasn't just of a revolution in Russia, but because of the crisis of capitalism that had unleashed the First World War across Europe. He saw that the revolutionary developments in Russia would be linked to the revolutionary developments elsewhere as the working class struggled to overcome the crisis of capitalism and the war itself. And in that sense, it was that fundamental understanding, if you like, of the class nature of society, of the role of the working class in terms of developing a conscious and organised resistance to capitalism in defence of its interests in the workplace, its fight for better wages and better working conditions, and building a political party of the working class that was rooted in the workplaces and had this clear understanding of the need for a socialist programme. And I think, you know, looking back in hindsight, the party and Lenin played a central role in that. But obviously it wasn't inevitable It required political debate and the clarity of ideas over the question of who would lead the revolution. That in itself was a debate within the workers' movement in general. So what do you mean by who would lead the revolution? Yeah, so would it be a movement to establish a capitalist society based on the capitalist interests, mobilising the working class and the peasantry to overthrow czarism? Or would it be a government of the working class that would go beyond that, beyond the limits, if you like, of the bourgeois revolution and carry through the socialist tasks under the leadership of the working class and the peasants. Lenin wasn't clear on that in the first stages, if you like, of his political development. He outlined a general formula of the idea of a workers' and peasants' government. Those theories were then tested out by events. And obviously in that process, there were splits, there were divisions within the workers' movement, famously between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, between the majority and the minority, the hard and the soft factions within that movement. And those ideas were tested out in the revolutions of 1905 and then again in the two revolutions through 1917. Lenin took a very clear and confident view that it would be the working class that would lead that revolution. He took that road, if you like, in terms of building his base amongst the working class, whereas the Mensheviks took a more reformist outlook and sought an alliance with sections of the you know, weak but liberal elements of the capitalist class. So within that, Lenin's theoretical and organisational foundations were prepared, but then tested out under the events, revolutionary events that took place in Russia. So, of course, it's worth just reminding listeners that Russia in 1917 wasn't a modern capitalist republic. It wasn't even a capitalist monarchy. There was capitalism in Russia... But the main relationships, the main social forces in Russia 
were feudal. It was the feudal landlords who held most of the power. The state was based on the feudal aristocracy and the majority of the population were not workers moving around between different employers, but peasants tied to the land producing crops, which some of which went to their feudal landlords. And in fact, the working class was a small minority in society, maybe 10% of Russian society, compared to, for example, Britain today, where 60% of people consider themselves working class. And in fact, as Marxists would understand it, the figure might be higher still. So despite this small number, in terms of the absolute proportion of society, Lenin still had confidence that it was the working class which would have to be the leading force. And we might come on to discuss that a little bit more when we get to the events of 1917 and see why the capitalists were unable to take power. But just to return to another point that you were making, this question of party organisation you brought up, the difference between the hard wing, the Bolsheviks of the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party, and the soft wing, the Mensheviks. So this began with ideas of the difference between seeing the working class ultimately as the force to lead some kind of revolution and seeking an alliance with the liberal capitalists. But there was more to it than that, wasn't there? Yeah, I think the conclusions that Lenin drew, based on his experiences in Russia, but also on the rich experiences of the workers' movement in other countries, particularly in Germany, where a powerful movement of the working class had been built and established, was that a party was essential in drawing together the most conscious elements amongst the working class, those that were drawing conclusions, political conclusions, about the need for a socialist society, and of rooting that organisation in the working class and linking up with the working class movement that was engaging in struggles in the factories over the basic needs of workers in terms of pay, in terms of working conditions, democratic rights and so on. And Lenin's approach in building the Bolshevik Party was of establishing a newspaper that could articulate the living experience of working class people, but link it to an analysis of the nature of capitalism, of class society, and of elaborating a programme of how society could change, a socialist programme in the interest of the working class. You know, it was a very preparatory task. It was a task that involved enormous sacrifices, particularly because of the repressive nature of the czarist state that you talked about previously. And he established what he described, if you like, as a cadre organisation, a French word that means a frame. And it was around the paper that that frame was built. It was around the branches of the RSDLP and the activists that were one to that programme that laid the basis for the development of support for those ideas in the events that unfolded. And it's very important to emphasise, you know, the democratic character of this party you know, in terms of the debates and discussions that were necessary to engage the working class in these questions and to clarify ideas and link it to a a party that was able to organise struggle, to organise solidarity and support for workers in the course of their everyday lives. And that was the ideas of democratic centralism that were to make sure that ultimately the Bolshevik party became a decisive subjective factor in the events of 1917. So what exactly does democratic centralism mean? Yeah, so in that process, the branches of the Bolshevik party were able to formulate and discuss the party's programme. And through that debate and discussion, and through its congresses, reach an agreement, if you like, on the outlines of that programme and the strategy that the party was going to employ at every stage of the struggle, whether it was in the revolutionary events of 1905 in the periods of reaction that were very difficult for the party. And then as the new movement emerged around 1912 and the Tsarist regime made political concessions to allow elections of a very limited character to what were called Dumas, the parliament, if you like. And the Bolshevik party participated in those. And obviously there was debate and discussion over tactics and strategy. And that was really the cornerstone of the democratic life of the party, and then implementing those ideas in a unified way, much as a trade union would do today. The working class organises itself, makes collective decisions, and then acts upon them and tests out those ideas. So 
you know, those traditions are very much part of the movement today. Although, of course, there are moments when it's not possible to have a full national discussion on a question and a leadership needs to make a decision. The party has to pull behind it and perhaps discuss it in further detail at a later stage. There are also periods, particularly for Lenin, operating under Tsarism, persecuted by the secret police, subject in some cases to summary execution of suspected revolutionaries, vicious repression by the state, where democracy has to be a little bit more limited. So there's a degree of flexibility in that organisational formula. No, absolutely. And I think it's wrong to portray Lenin just as an individual. It was the collective experience that the party was able to draw on and that democratic process of debate and discussion and the testing out, if you like, of a leadership in terms of its ideas that gave the party its authority and really built the authority of Lenin and the Bolsheviks amongst the most class-conscious workers in Russia at the time? So the first big test for all the various different revolutionaries, the capitalist revolutionaries, the socialist revolutionaries, be they the Bolshevik hard wing or the Menshevik soft wing, the first major test of all these ideas came in 1905. Could you say a bit about that? Yeah, so the outlook of the Bolshevik party was to recognise the reactionary nature of the Tsarist regime. Although capitalism was late on the scene, if you like, in Russia. And whilst it was still a feudal peasant-based economy, some of the factories were some of the most developed factories in the world and employed thousands of workers in very brutal conditions, not dissimilar to some of the factory life of workers around the world today. And inevitably that gave rise to the struggle of the working class. And in 1905, the agonies of the working class erupted in a protest movement and mass demonstrations that took place in the January of that year, demanding very basic things like the eight-hour day that we're still fighting for today, the idea of democratic rights, trade union rights, demands for a constituent assembly, if you like, a democratic form of government, and an end to the economic crisis that had plagued the Russian economy, partly due to its war with Japan at that point in time. So those demonstrations were articulating the demands of the working class and the Tsar's regime attacked those demonstrations brutally. Over a thousand people were killed and wounded and really that gave rise to a revolutionary movement throughout 1905, really, which tested out the survival, if you like, of the Tsarist regime but also tested out the politics of the opposition parties, both the capitalists and the workers' parties and the peasant parties as well, where uprisings in the countryside of the peasants took place alongside the struggles of the working class. And it's in these events, what perhaps were the dress rehearsal for 1917, that it really confirmed the outline of Lenin's ideas, that from having literally a handful of supporters, but with clear ideas and a paper that articulated support for the working class and their demands, then very quickly, if you read all the accounts of 1905, then the working class became a mass movement, politically engaged, seeking answers to the problems that they faced. And very, very quickly, the Bolshevik Party and other workers' parties grew in size and support. And the paper that Lenin produced at that time called Viperod Forward rose very quickly in circulation to over 50,000 in St Petersburg during the general strike that took place there in December at the end of the year. Others, like Leon Trotsky, whose paper reached an enormous circulation as well, was elected as president of the powerful Soviet. And it was really around those experiences that Lenin very quickly recognised that this new form of organisation, the Soviets that were formed by the working class in the course of their struggle, bringing together elected strikers from different workplaces, not just in St Petersburg, but other cities as well, that formed the outline, if you like, of a new government that Lenin recognised. And it confirmed those two very essential aspects of what Lenin was fighting for, the role of a party, the role it could play in developing that movement, and the clarity of ideas that were needed to arm the working class with a way to solve its problems. Now, in 1905, whilst the working class had power in its hands, in the form of the Soviets, in terms of the strikes and the insurrection that took place in Moscow on the streets, power remained in the hands formally 
of the Tsarist regime. And at that stage, really, the movement didn't develop what we would call a socialist consciousness and recognise that in order to concretise its power, it had to sweep away the Tsarist regime. And so that movement, if you like, ran out of steam, it became exhausted. And as a result, the revolutionary movement ebbed and the Tsarist government was able to maintain power at that moment in time. But as I said, the key formulations, if you like, theoretical formulations that Lenin had based his ideas and the party ideas on had really been confirmed by those events. So these really key ideas, just to drive them home, these included the role of the working class. And why is that? It's because despite the fact that in Russia it was a minority in society, the fact that it was drawn into these massive, new, technologically advanced factories gave it, for a start, because people were working right next to each other as part of a collective team to produce things. It gave them the potential to develop a collective consciousness to act together in a way which peasant families producing individually can't develop in quite the same way, but also enormous economic power because of the huge value of manufactured goods as compared to the relatively low value for a huge amount of labour of agricultural produce. And these two things together, the coherence of the collective consciousness forged in the factories and the massive economic power that the factories have, gave this small minority, the working class, gave it the best position to be able to lead a revolutionary movement to fundamentally change society. That was confirmed in 1905 despite the defeat and the importance of the party as well. Leon Trotsky, another revolutionary who had a key role in 1905, in fact, a more prominent role than Lenin in 1905 as president of the Petrograd Soviet or St. Petersburg Soviet, as I think it might have been called at the time, the city changed names. He, at a certain point later on, talks about the revolutionary party as a piston box that the anger of the working class and the broader masses who come in behind the leadership of the working class is like steam. And the Revolutionary Party is like a piston box which channels that steam. That without the steam, the piston won't move. Without the working class, the piston isn't going anywhere. But nonetheless, without the piston box, without the Revolutionary Party, the steam will dissipate uselessly and will not be channeled in a functional direction. The most important thing, perhaps, to come out of 1905, however, was, as you mentioned, the Soviets. And just to explain to listeners, the Russian word Soviet literally just means council. So these were elected councils of strikers and workers in struggle in their particular areas, as you said. And this was an extremely important development, which Lenin recognised very quickly. Could you say a little bit more about the Soviets? Yeah, so I think... You know, the idea of how the working class would form a government of its own, you know, wasn't mapped out. It wasn't the idea of Lenin that the Soviets were formed. They came out of the struggle of the working class itself. And we've seen that historically in terms of the general strike in France in 1968. We saw it in the revolutionary movements in Britain in 1926, where the working class, through its own organisations, began to organise society. And as I said, you know, Lenin recognised, even though he was living in exile at the time in Switzerland, that this represented, if you like, a new form of revolutionary government. And uh, as I said at the start, you know, these were bodies that were democratic and were elected from the workplace. Delegates were subject to recall, so they could be democratically replaced by the workers themselves. They weren't given inflated salaries. They were given the average wage of the working class. And they became the embryo of a workers' government that was to take form in 1917 in October. Yes, so let's move on to 1917 then. So there was a period between 1905 and 1917, a lot of which involved not a great deal happening for revolutionaries, although there was a major strike wave in 1912. But the three big events in Russian history in the early 20th century were the 1905 revolution, then a February revolution in 1917, and then a second revolution in October in 1917. Now, you mentioned earlier that there are different tasks for the capitalist democratic revolution and for the workers' socialist revolution. Why were there three revolutions in Russia? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, those events recognised or reflected the need to complete the tasks of transforming society, that the 1905 revolution had 
demonstrated the outline of the role that the working class could play in terms of leading a revolution, but had not yet developed a mass consciousness in itself to realise that task. And none of the problems of society were solved. So Tsarism maintained a brutal dictatorial regime with very few democratic concessions, if you like, these very limited parliaments of the Duma that were conceded were real fig leaves in terms of making minor concessions under pressure. And the mass of peasantry lived in poverty on the land. The working class continued to live in appalling conditions. And obviously that was aggravated even more by the impact of the World War and the devastation in terms of deaths of a mainly peasant army, but obviously the privations that working class people suffered of starvation and continued brutality of the regime, which obviously reflected itself in the workplace as well. And so the February Revolution represented a spontaneous outburst of that anger from the working class in the form of strike action and demonstrations. First, women workers, some of the most oppressed workers in society, coming out on strike, and a more generalised strike taking place amongst the working class as a whole that swept the rotten Tsarist regime from history. But not conscious at this stage of replacing that Tsarist government with a government of their own, a provisional government established itself, made up of the capitalist politicians, people like Kerensky and the capitalist parties, that were then presented with power formally, but in the period following their establishment, failed again to end the war, failed to resolve the issue of land, and failed to, obviously, in that process, end the misery that the working class faced at that moment in time. And so that presented a question to the working class and the workers' movement, whether to support that government or whether to seek to overthrow that government and establish a government of its own. And others in the leadership of the Bolshevik Party, particularly Stalin and Kamenev, who had got to Russia before Lenin's return, mistakenly gave support to the provisional government. And Lenin from abroad sent furious telegram to the Bolshevik party saying that the party's tactics should be no trust, no support for the new government, suspect Kerensky above all, and arm the proletariat as the only guarantee. So he was absolutely clear that a revolution was unfolding and in his view it was only on the basis of the working class taking power that they could secure their demands, their interests, and ensure that this revolution wasn't defeated. Well, hang on, that's an interesting question then, isn't it? Because, of course, this, as we've mentioned, was a feudal country. And in previous revolutions, in the Great French Revolution, in the American Revolution, and in other revolutionary movements, in the English Revolution, a century or so before all of those, feudalism was overthrown and replaced with some kind of capitalist-run society, a society where the big financiers and industrialists ended up in control of things as opposed to the feudal landlords who had the peasants at their behest. So you might have expected that the Russian Revolution would have installed a capitalist republic. And the fact that you had a capitalist government, which was failing to carry out what we've called the tasks of the democratic capitalist revolution, tasks such as elected government as opposed to an autocratic government, freedom of the press, free association, the land question, as you said, giving the peasants the land as opposed to it being in the hands of feudal landlords so that capitalist producers and farmers can start to use the land in a freer way for the interests of profit. The capitalist government itself seemed incapable of doing this. Why was that? Well, I think it was clear that the capitalists as a class were weak under the conditions of a largely feudal agricultural economy. And when they were faced with a movement of the working class, rather than recognising that that was a movement that was going to help them into power and establish a democratic capitalist government, they were more fearful of the working class, not forming a capitalist government, but forming its own government and sweeping aside the capitalists to realise its own demands and its own government, a socialist government. So ultimately, the capitalists became a reactionary force in the course of this revolutionary movement 
And Lenin recognised that and warned that unless the working class took power, then there would be a counter-revolutionary, reactionary movement that would crush the workers' movement in blood. So this was a life and death struggle and it required a decisive and clear approach. And really Lenin played a decisive role as an individual in recognising and having confidence in the mass of the working class, whilst it was a small part of society, it was playing a decisive role in the revolution, and that therefore a programme had to be put forward that would arm the working class with the tasks it faced. And obviously his party ultimately played the part in carrying that programme to the mass of the working class, and that was the April thesis which he arrived with, when he arrived at Finland Station, he was met with crowds of workers who'd come to greet him and he outlined from the platform to the workers that were there the tasks that they faced in terms of establishing all power to the Soviets. And frankly, he was in a minority on his own, even within the leadership of his own party with very little support because he'd reached more far-reaching conclusions than others in his own party. And really, that was rooted, as I said, on this perspective of forming a workers' government, of a Soviet government, and of ensuring this revolution was successful. And in that sense, the period between April and October was really the preparation for the struggle for power. In the early parts of the year, the support that the Bolsheviks held in the Soviets was relatively small, the working class had hopes that the provisional government would solve its problems. And as it became clear that that wasn't the case, then support grew amongst the working class as a whole for an end to the war. And the only people that were putting forward an argument for that was Lenin and the Bolshevik Party. And so support rapidly grew. That in itself was met with counter-revolutionary forces, attempted coups to smash the Soviets that were met with mass mobilisation of the working class to drive those counter-revolutionary forces back. And attempts were made to destroy the Bolshevik party. Attempts were made by reaction to drive them underground. And on occasions, support for the Bolshevik party fell dramatically as a result of the red slander, if you like, that was poured on Lenin and the Bolshevik party by the capitalist class and the establishment. But, as I said, none of these problems were solved. The working class had no choice but to continue its struggle and drew political conclusions that the provisional government was not acting in its interests and adopted the broad slogan of the Bolshevik party for bread, peace and land, all prior to the Soviets, down with the ten capitalist ministers. And I think... October vindicates this idea of Lenin, of the role of the Revolutionary Party, what we call the subjective factor. The midwife of the revolution, I think, was the term that Trotsky used, that the working class established Soviet power, but it had to consolidate that power by sweeping away the old regime. And it was really the Bolshevik workers and soldiers in the factories and the garrisons in the navy that argued for Lenin's programme, the April Thesis, that outlined that the only means by which their demands would be met and consolidated on a permanent basis would be if they formed their own government. And it was on that basis that massive support was gained for the Bolsheviks' position, so that by October, on the eve of the all-Russian Congress of Soviets, that the working class, the Red Guard, was mobilised in all the key cities, and the provisional government was swept from office with barely a shot fired. Such was the power of the working class, such was the overwhelming support for Lenin and the Bolshevik party. And I think, you know, that demonstrates, to repeat the point, you know, Lenin's ideas was confirmed by these events in conjunction with the conclusions that Trotsky had joined. The two great leaders of the Russian Revolution came together with a clear political programme of support for the working class, for the international character of the revolution. And again, the evidence for that was the rapid spread of the revolution. Revolutionary events emerged in other countries out of the crisis of the war from 1918 to 1923, most importantly in Germany. But other countries, Hungary, the working class took power for a temporary period. There were revolutionary developments in Italy in 1920. 
And although Lenin was to die you know, relatively soon, just a few years after the revolution. In 1919, the Comintern, the Third International Communist International, was formed and very rapidly gained the support of millions of workers across the world. So demonstrating how important this event was, literally the greatest event in world history, and carried out really under the central ideas of Lenin and the Bolshevik Party. So it shows that under conditions of social upheaval, parties with the correct programme and serious methods of organisation can grow and suffer all sorts of setbacks, but can go from being something which capitalist commentators might dismiss as a footnote, something to be sidelined or ignored, to leading the working class into power, provided they have the correct approach. And it's interesting that this capitalist class in Russia, so weak was it that it was incapable of carrying out the task of its own revolution, as you say, because it was surrounded by this feudal economy, because Russian capitalism had developed late. It was reliant on the one hand on the old feudal landlords, so it didn't want to move too strongly against the feudal state. It was on the other hand in hock to big capitalist interests in more advanced, earlier developing capitalist countries, France in particular. So it was really, really weak. And as a result, the working class had to complete the capitalist tasks for them, but of course didn't stop there. It went further to the socialist tasks. It went beyond the tasks of the capitalist revolution to workers' control of the factories, to working class state power, which is what the Soviet government was. It went on to public ownership of the banks and big industry. It went on to planning the economy on a rational basis with democratic input from all of society into how goods and services are made and distributed as opposed to allowing private owners to compete with each other to enrich themselves in this blind anarchic fashion which we have today, which is causing so many problems in particular during the current pandemic crisis. So all of these ideas were just blown up in a huge, huge way during 1917 and the approach which Lenin took, of course he made mistakes, turned out to be correct. Three revolutions, the 1905 dress rehearsal, the 1917 February attempted capitalist revolution, and then finally the workers' revolution in October. And of course, as you say, precisely because Russian capitalism was so weak, the Bolsheviks and the working class inherited a very, very economically backward society which didn't have high levels of literacy, methods of communication like telegraphs and railways. It didn't have lots of industry and technical expertise and things like that to draw on to start to really put in place the kind of planned economy which could lift living standards on a wide scale very, very quickly. They had to develop all of that on the fly. And what's worse, they did that under conditions of being invaded by other capitalist countries. Could you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, well, like you say, the key tasks, you know, for the working class was to nationalise the banks and industry, nationalise the land. And the revolution carried through enormous economic, social and political reforms, you know, in terms of workers' rights, suffrage and so on. And the beginning of a socialist transformation of the economy on the basis of workers' democratic control and planning. It was recognised by Lenin and the Bolshevik Party the backward nature of the czarist economy, of semi-feudal economy, and therefore, in its inception, the idea that the Russian Revolution would have to be part of a world revolution in order to link up with more advanced economies at that time, particularly Germany. And obviously, the idea then of utilising the more advanced industrial capacity, like, as you say, develop the means of production and meet the needs of society in general... And obviously the capitalists recognised the mortal threat that the Russian Revolution posed, not just to the capitalists in Russia, but to the capitalists internationally. And although, you know, the capitalists had been through the experience of a world war, kind of ironic that they'd been at each other's throats for years in a bloody conflict, then united their forces and turned them on the democratic workers' revolutionary state in Russia. And... That led to a three-year civil war where the imperialist armies mobilised the capitalists, the reaction within Russia, the white armies, and from nothing, really, Lenin and particularly Trotsky, who became the commissar for war, 
mobilised a Red Army from nothing. And at stages, the territory of the revolution was almost restricted to areas around Petrograd and Moscow. That ultimately, it was the motivation of the Red Army and the support of the wider peasantry for the methods and the the programme that the revolution had ushered in that was the driving force behind the Red Army that led to its ultimate victory. And, you know, obviously to some extent, that was an enormous cost to society, but not one of Lenin's choosings and the Bolshevik Party. That was a revolutionary struggle to repel the imperialist armies. And we should also mention at the time that workers internationally gave support to that struggle. So when forces in Britain were mobilised to fight the revolutionary forces, they mutinied. British troops mutinied at Archangel. British troops mutinied in Britain when they were mobilised or the government attempted to remobilise them. Dockers went on strike when munitions were loaded onto ships that were going to be sent to arm the intervention forces. So there was this enormous sense of internationalism that the Russian Revolution had inspired that the capitalist class were fearful of and ultimately the Red Army came out victorious in the process of that struggle. Now... The tragic loss of life which took place when this young revolution, an extremely backward country which had been crippled by the war, was forced to fight for its life against the brutal dictatorship of czarism and the invasion of 21 armies from surrounding capitalist countries. That loss of life is sometimes conflated with the horrific crimes of the bureaucratic dictatorship identified with the person of Joseph Stalin, with the crimes of Stalinism in undoing a lot of the gains of the revolution. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about the April theses, and this was Lenin saying that it's only the working class which can overthrow czarism. We cannot trust the capitalists to carry out this task for us. And in doing that, Lenin adopted the same ideas which Leon Trotsky had come to a few years before, actually, as a result of his experiences as a leader of the 1905 revolution. In the course of the events of the actual revolution itself, they were on the same page. There were others in the leadership of the Bolshevik Party, notably Joseph Stalin, as well as Kamenev, Sinofiev and others, who didn't agree with that. And interestingly, it's some of these people who didn't have that faith in the working class as the force to change society in Russia at that moment who then came up with ideas which seemed to point the way from the working class taking power in the rest of the world later on. So Stalinism, according to capitalist commentators and historians, there's a straight line from Lenin to Stalin. Clearly, the Socialist Party doesn't see it like that. Could you say some more about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, we would say that the conditions that developed in the Soviet Union at that moment in time historically meant that the Russian Revolution was isolated and, you know, had suffered the privations of civil war, which were a product of capitalist intervention, brutal intervention, and obviously was essentially trying to establish itself in a very undeveloped and backward economy. So that was not easy terrain, if you like, to establish a socialist state and a socialist government. But I think, nonetheless, you know, Lenin and Trotsky and the traditions of Bolshevism were rooted in this idea of confidence in building a world revolution. And whilst the defeats, particularly in Germany, of the aborted revolution in 1923 were defeats, were setbacks, that Lenin and Trotsky and the Bolshevik Party were confident that future struggles of the working class would emerge And it would be the role of the Soviet government to assist those revolutions as they developed. But the difficulties that the Soviet government faced, the shortages of food and so on, led to other ideas emerging and challenges to the Bolshevik government. And that combined with beginnings of a bureaucracy that was a reflection of the need to police and govern society, distribute food and so on. And the bureaucracy established itself, gained privileges from its position and then fought to defend those privileges from the rest of society. And Stalin theorised that position into the position of socialism in one country, which was a complete contradiction 
to the revolutionary ideas of Marx, of Engels, of Lenin and the Russian Revolution and represented an abandonment of the world revolution, an abandonment of the working class as a force for change. And increasingly, the Stalinist government became a reactionary government that led revolutions to defeat in China in 1926 and the general strike in Britain in 1926 and more tragically in 1936 in Spain. But throughout that period, there was a political opposition initially by Lenin himself, who recognised the bureaucratic dangers inherent in the situation. He recognised also the personal deficiencies of Stalin as an organiser of the Russian Communist Party, as it was then, and the danger he presented. And if you read his last writings, he formed a block with Trotsky to try and fight that, but due to ill health, was unable to play any active role. Trotsky took that struggle forward, in defence of the ideas of October, of the October Revolution, in defence of the ideas of internationalism, the idea of socialist planning, the ideas of workers' democracy, the ideas of democratic centralism, of the Revolutionary Party itself. And a struggle was waged in the years to follow against the reactionary ideas, the counter-revolutionary ideas of Stalinism. But the Stalinist regime triumphed and became a brutal and repressive police dictatorship that, you know, drowned the revolution in blood. And the purges that took place resulted ultimately in 1936-1937 with the execution of the last leaders of the Bolshevik party at the time of the October Revolution. So you could hardly say that Stalin, in that sense, represented some continuous line from October, from Lenin to himself, if you like, But there was a clear river of blood that separates Leninism, the genuine ideas of Bolshevism, the October Revolution, with the monstrous dictatorship that Stalin ultimately was to lead. Trotsky put it like this, didn't he? That where there is a shortage, you will end up with a queue. Where there is a queue, you need a policeman to keep order. And that is the basis of the Stalinist bureaucracy. That because of the enormous privations and destruction of years of horrendous mismanagement by the Tsarist autocracy, followed by the incredible demolition job, which the First World War did on Russia, as well as many other countries, and then the tragic failure, despite the heroism of the working class around the world, the tragic failure of a series of revolutions in other countries, leaving that broken, battered, backward country isolated on its own, the demoralization which must have come from that, the death of some of the most heroic Russian workers' leaders in the civil war. All of these factors came together to allow a bureaucracy to crystallize. But even then, it took many, many years and brutal, bitter struggle with Leon Trotsky's assassination ultimately in 1940 and thousands killed. And only then was it possible for the Stalinist dictatorship to finally install itself securely. And even then, it had to hold back revolutions in other countries around the world in order to maintain its position. So the idea that socialist revolution leads inevitably to that kind of situation, we would say simply is false. But nonetheless, revolutionary situations crop up all the time. And unfortunately, they don't always succeed. In fact, the fact that we're having this kind of discussion now about the relevance of these ideas, of course, is an indication that revolutionary movements in the intervening period, unfortunately, haven't yet succeeded. But there are revolutionary movements cropping up today. And before the pandemic lockdown, there were serious mass revolts, many of them with a revolutionary character in countries all across the planet. So can we expect to see the sort of revolution which Lenin carried through happening again today? Yeah, well, I think that's a critical question for obviously thousands, if not millions of people at the moment who are suffering this health pandemic and the lockdown. I think it's estimated a third of the world's population in some form of lockdown. And the capitalist crisis that can't provide health care for the majority, even in the most advanced countries like America and the economic crisis that's resulted in something like 26 million people in America becoming unemployed and applying for benefits. You know, then obviously people are looking for answers. People are looking for a way out of this crisis. And we would say that, you know, the Russian Revolution was only one event in a whole series of revolutions that took place during the 20th century 
in the aftermath of the Second World War in particular. I mentioned already the Spanish Revolution in the 1930s, but the general strike in France in 1968, the movement in Chile from 1970 to 73, the revolution in Portugal in 1974, many other examples. Cuba, China. Indeed, and I think in a more recent period, the Arab Spring that we saw begin in Tunisia, through Egypt, and really continuing today in the recent revolutionary events in Sudan. And obviously last year, mass protests, mass demonstrations, uprisings of workers in important countries, and particularly the mass demonstrations of the working class in France. And, you know, we would point particularly to the million-strong movement in Chile, that is seeking a way out to remove the reactionary capitalist government and, you know, the calls, the mass support for the idea of constituent assembly, really demonstrating, if you like, in the outline, the minds of the working class, a new form of government that can get rid of the rotten capitalist regimes that we see, not just in Chile, but around the world. And I think if we were to summarise this discussion in the sense of where we're at today and draw on the lessons of... 1917, Lenin's ideas and the role of the Bolshevik party, we would say that it emphasises once again having that confidence in the working class as the force in society that can develop a class consciousness and a political consciousness to see the potential of a new society, of a socialist society, where the economy can be organised not just in production for profit that we see under capitalist system, but production to meet social need on the basis of public ownership of the banks and of big industries that under workers' democratic control and management, as we saw through the workers' councils, the Soviets in 1917, in October, then we can begin to establish a new economy utilising the huge wealth and technology that exists already and very rapidly transform society to meet the needs of ordinary people, to provide health care, to introduce the development of science, to eradicate the potential of pandemics through the development of vaccines and so on, and, you know, to implement the demands of 1917 for the eight-hour day, the institution of democratic rights, of trade union rights, and of a government that isn't corrupt but is subject to workers' control, is subject to the right of recall, where, you know, workers' representatives in government receive no more than the average wage of the workers they represent. A complete transformation from the position that we have today. And I think, you know, we would say in the Socialist Party, we have that confidence in the working class. We have fought tenaciously to build our party and our co-thinkers around the world in the Committee for Workers International. We defend those ideas. We defend the idea of a socialist programme. And I think within our history... We've developed and demonstrated our capacity to provide leadership in critical struggles. So the 1980s movement in local councils against Thatcher's attempt to implement cuts and put the crisis of the capitalist system at that stage on the backs of the working class, it was the mass movement led by militant, as we were then known in the 1980s, by the Liverpool City Council where we had a mass movement that defeated the Thatcher government, that fought for important resources to ensure a house-building programme, the creation of jobs, of parks, of leisure centres, and a mass movement, really, that gave popular support to the ideas of what socialism could achieve. And then, a few years beyond that, the mass movement against the poll tax that we organised and played a central role in mobilising under the banner of the All-Britain Anti-Poll Tax Federation you know, where 18 million people organised in a mass campaign of civil disobedience of non-payment resulted in the defeat of the poll tax and of its architect, Margaret Thatcher, who was forced out of government as a result. And I think, you know, that experience and the positions that we fought for and defended in the working class and the trade union movement today, I think to some extent we can begin to see the outline here in Britain, the protests for International Workers' Memorial Day demonstrated this mood in society that the enormous anger that there is at the failings of the government to provide the PPE that frontline workers, key workers, health workers need to do their job safely and a fight will be organised over this return to work, the ending of the lockdown, where the capitalists want to get the economy running again to make their money, to protect their interests and to make their profits and workers are going to have to ensure that 
that happens safely and under their terms and under their control to some extent. And equally, all the implication of the new economic crisis that's unfolding. Yesterday, the announcement that 12,000 British Airways workers are facing the sack, a quarter of the workforce from a company that has made huge profits in the past period, but a company that wants to maintain its profits and maintain its position by putting the crisis on the backs of the working class and making them pay for this crisis. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to ensure that socialist ideas offer a way out of this health crisis, but also out of the economic crisis that capitalism is in. And I think they're the enormous lessons that we can learn from the Russian Revolution and really the heroic life that Lenin led, a life of enormous sacrifice, enormous courage, enormous determination that did see the triumph of the first workers' government and the beginnings of a new socialist society. And whatever the difficulties that that government faced in terms of the development of Stalinism, we draw on the lessons of that period so that we can achieve and accomplish the task and build a new socialist world that can realise the ideas and struggle of Lenin and his life. So I suppose the key lessons coming out of this then, first of all, the workers' revolution, that it is the working class which has to take the lead in changing society, that we cannot rely on any wing of the capitalists or their politicians to do things for us. Second of all, the revolutionary party, that in order for the working class to be most effective in creating change, it needs to be well organised as a team to discuss its ideas and be able to put them in action in a unified fashion. Thirdly, the workers' press a way for the working class revolutionary party to communicate with itself, to make sure that ideas and best practice are spread, to be able to test its ideas within the working class, to be able to raise understanding, to communicate without the interference of the capitalist media, a major problem in this day and age as well. And finally, internationalism, that the revolution cannot be confined to one country, but must spread to encompass ultimately the whole world in a voluntary socialist federation to eliminate the competition between different countries and so that the skills and resources which exist across the planet can be put at the use of humanity as a whole rather than competing to enrich profit interests in different nation states. Just to finish, Karl Marx said that war is the midwife of revolution and this pandemic has been compared to a war Perhaps it will be compared to war in more ways than one. Only history will tell. But if you would like to read more about the revolutionary life and ideas of Vladimir Lenin, you can look at the notes in your podcast app or at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast, or we'll put some recommended reading in. And of course, if you agree with the ideas which you've heard today, if you agree for the need for a Marxist party, to try and win the mass of the working class of these kinds of ideas, this kind of programme, you should join the Socialist Party, join the Committee for a Workers' International. Nick Chaffee, thank you very much. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for a Workers' International. Today we heard from Nick Chaffee, speaking to me, James Ivins. This episode was edited by Nick Hunt. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We need your help to maintain our independent political voice right when it's most important, during this generation-defining global catastrophe. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people. We're always asking for finance. But right now, because we can't raise money from our usual campaign activity on the streets and in the workplaces, we need it more than ever. It can help us take the fight to big business by making a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. If you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for, we need you. Join our campaign to build a truly effective working class socialist fighting force in the trade union and labour movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for a Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. You can find further reading on this episode in the episode notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. And for the latest statements on working class demands, socialist analysis and reports from the front line, check the Socialist Party's website and our Facebook page.
If you have questions, comments, or something you want to hear from us, contact us on socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Finally, help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. And don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Until next time, solidarity. Solidarity.